With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now number one for podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Number two, it's Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Take you until noon. Paul Shirley in about 25 minutes. Name that too. I, I have no idea. I, I knew you would have no idea. Our next guest, though. Let's get him on here, see if he can pull Scott it Scott Docterman from The Athletic. This is your tunes. You love your 80s rock. Scott Docterman, at least name the artist of that tune. Oh, my gosh. It's, I... Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. I mean, I've heard it a million times back in the 80s, but uh, you stumped me on this one, and I can't believe it. I know every single other bumper you guys have, and this <laughs> one, for some reason, I don't know. Well, we got a little more time to dive a little bit deeper. This is Whitesnake. Slide it in. Big Whitesnake oh. fan, I'm going to guess. Yes, I am, you know, and I actually like another song off that uh, uh, album a little bit better, but yeah, I, could, I used to have that cassette back in the days of the cassette. Was that Tawny Katane? Oh, in the in the, in the uh, video, right? What video was that? Was oh, it? I don't know. Well, she it was on the uh, car, here. On I the, go again. A couple of them. Here I go again, and and still the night, and is this love? But oh yeah, this, is this, this love? The, That's the what album I before that. <laughs> so here's one. Who? What? What major league baseball player was Tawny Katane married to? Chuck Finley. Ding, ding, ding. Chuck Finley. Look at that. boy, Scott Dockerman. Way to we, go, Charlie. You re, yep, you redeemed yourself on that one, Scott Dockerman. Well, let's, yeah. get, in, let's get into some college stuff. Uh, not that there's a lot percolating, but there's ideas being floated around, Doc. And I know that uh, you and Mark made your opinion on Twitter. It was, uh, I don't know if it was Sports Business Journal who broke it. Uh, John O'Ran or one of his colleagues. Maybe moving college football season up, starting in July, playing July, August, and September. No idea that would what that would mean to the bowl games. I would guess that you know there would go boy uh, put on mothballs for the year. But I'm not sure that that one's going to gain any traction. Doc, what about you? I mean, I, I give them credit for throwing everything out there, and everything's you know there's no bad ideas at this time. That one doesn't seem feasible to me. What about you? That one's not feasible. That one was, I don't know if that was a TV executive uh, hypothesizing to Orand and said, yeah, we've had discussions about this, which could be over uh, the water cooler or something, but there is no legitimacy to that one. Now, one that has been discussed, albeit, you know, everything's in just throw it on the wall and see what sticks stage, is something where the Pac-12 may decide to go spring football instead of fall football. And uh, that's something that has been discussed, as has um, cutting the season down, uh, making it only, you know, limited travel, only conference games. I mean, there's been a lot of different discussions right now. But, I mean, we're still in March, so everything is really up in the air. But I do know that 
the, the report that was discussed was not really um, – <laughs> was not considered, uh, you know, a likely outcome. Let's put it that way. No, it, it's so difficult to kind of wrap your mind around these different theories and ideas that are out there, Doc. And it's going to be difficult for people to to figure out just the way that you put this all together, how it's going to finish out, how it's going to wrap up. And, and of course, uh, looming this week, we have the decision that's going to be handed down from the NCAA. I know you've written a lot about this at the Athletic Spring and also the winter sport athletes given another season of eligibility. Will they, won't they? What are you hearing? I, I know you have a ton of writers that you work with there at The Athletic. You guys have your internal emails and your Slack conversations about what's happening there. Does anybody feel there's a, a good chance that winter sport athletes will get another year of eligibility? Unfortunately, I don't think that one's going to happen. And I, I know that it, it's really unfortunate for a lot of uh, athletes that would have had the opportunity to compete in the NCAA t- tournaments wrestling, basketball, gymnastics, and, and the like. And it just, I, I think that one's going to be, that would be awfully tough. And it's because some, a lot of the athletes already had their season's end, or maybe they were, you know, hanging on, but their team was 15 and 15 in basketball, and maybe they had a postseason opportunity or something. It's just, uh, you know, do you grant half of them eligibility or all of them? Do you grant some who would have been in the state wrestling tournament eligibility and not the ones who didn't qualify. I mean, I think that's tough. And then you look at the basketball angle. I think the one thing that we can all agree to is if every single basketball athlete at mid-majors, low-major universities were allowed to uh, get an extra year they, and they'd all graduate, can you imagine the just the, the graduate transfer portal, mm. how stocked that would be? with all those types of athletes just saying, yeah, I got an extra opportunity here. So, I mean, that's a logistical issue that, you know, that that would be a challenge as well. So I don't think that's going to happen. The Springs athletes will get it. I I can't imagine that they wouldn't. I think that's fair. But in talking to Rick Heller last week, there's just so many, there's so many aspects to that. I mean, you're talking about a sport uh, in baseball and all the, all the spring sports, frankly, that are not really fully funded. I mean, they split scholarships among different athletes. So those athletes, uh, those that would have been seniors, um, you know, that maybe they're from Illinois and they play baseball at Iowa and they're paying out-of-state tuition or, or whatever. Do they really want to come back and just play and have to pay twenty out of forty thousand dollars or something like that? Or, or if they, if you've got people replacing those scholarships, how do you manufacture those types of numbers? It's it's going to be really complicated. But I do think that the spring sports. That one's going to be a no-brainer, but I just don't think the winner ones are going to be a, a likelihood. Yeah, so many layers to it, guys. You know, the the high school athletes. What does this do for for seniors that may have their final year of uh, of high school sports, anyways, taken away from them? Late developers, because there's always those in every single sport that you know that uh, didn't get those. Didn't and can we hear about them? Right. Well, how was this guy not given a power five offer? <laughs> well, or here, girl, uh, they were late uh, late developer. Uh, it's going to make recruiting so difficult, Doc. There's just, we just, I mean, it, it just might be easier to keep it, sadly, status quo, business as usual. And, you know, we just move on from this. And sadly, for a lot of sports and a lot of athletes, you know, they lose that opportunity. I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it's sad in so many areas. And and, it, and since we're talking sports, that's the main area right now. But, you know, of course, in every aspect sure. of life, yep. this is horrible. And, and I do think that, you know, for the high school seniors, 
that some of them didn't get that opportunity to finish uh, a state tournament, not in Iowa, but in other places, uh, state track, uh, maybe. You know, there, there are people going for records, state records, that won't have that opportunity. It's really, it's really sad. I, it, it, you know, it, if anything else, it would be great in, in this state where we do play baseball and softball in the summer if there was an opportunity for them to play. And, and I think everybody at certain stadiums, sure, you could all sit six feet apart. You know, it would be great to see them out there mm-hmm. playing. But, but this uh, pandemic is so unpredictable and it's already been so horrible. It's, it's hard to justify that right now. So hopefully we can get some normalcy. I'm, I'm still keeping the faith that we will, you know, maybe by midsummer. But I'm only saying that uh, <laughs> for my own faith purposes, not necessarily because I'm a doctor. Cause that's only in my name. <laughs> <laughs> Very true, Scott. Doctor, for joining us here from the Athletic Doc. Football recruiting continues, though they can't have people on campus. They certainly are still making the phone calls, FaceTiming, emailing, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it takes to get a hold of these different prospects. How difficult, how much more difficult is it for a program like Iowa? Luckily, at least for the in-state schools, it's a really good year for in-state crop in terms of talent for 2021. But have you uh, had an opportunity to hear or talk to anybody what they're doing, the differences going through football recruiting right now? It is a little bit more difficult for these guys, and but that said, in some ways, you know, not it. It could be helpful for for teams like Iowa State and Iowa, who've already kind of got their hooks in to those 2021 guys, and you know whether they've been had them on campus for junior days or you know that they know what Iowa and Iowa State are, you know, specifically about. So it does it. It hurts people that they've never met before or guys that they're just starting to look at or haven't offered or, or whatever, that that's where it's going to hurt. But, you know, for 2021, you know, I know Iowa's got, I think eight guys already in, they've gotten a lot of other guys that they're really looking at strongly it, where it's going to hurt them is, um, you know, getting those guys on for the tailgater in June, you know, and place and things like that and getting guys that they've just offered or just considered offering um, you know, on campus for spring practice and stuff like that. That's where it's hurting. But I think a, a lot of the guys that they really like, they've already had in, so they've built those relationships. This is just going to be about extending them. And and, and so, and, and Iowa State's the same way. I mean, Matt Campbell does mm-hmm. a phenomenal job in recruiting. So, you know, he's going to be all over this. And, and, I, and so it, it's just going to be those late bloomers, uh, the guys that are midsummer guys, and late spring guys that I think were my affected a little bit more negatively could you see the games going forward without fans at kinnick stadium or any of the big 10 venues or you know through throughout college football could you see that as a uh, as an option doc i hate to harbor prediction but yeah i can i, I think that right now it, it the games are so important um to the universities to the athletic departments that it, if they can play it at all they will and that includes um, going to, you know, fanless environments or maybe it's, uh, you know, select family members only or mm-hmm. you know, every student gets, you know, five, ten tickets and that's it. And, and those are the people that fill up these stadiums because, you know, when I was looking at some of these numbers, you know, for the Big Ten universities in fiscal 19, the 13 public institutions in football alone combined for, you know, $960 million in, in revenues. Jeez. And you take football away, it kills everything. And, and I, you know, we all have, 
you know, we want this to be a balanced uh, athletic department to be balanced, male, female, as much importance as we can to the sports that don't, you know, generate revenue. Well, you take football out, it's all gone. Every bit of it. Baby Ben's basketball survives. That's the only one Mm -hmm. that's self-sustaining out of the other sports. So I think this is... Uh, everybody has to figure out how to get football. If it's on TV, at least the networks can televise it. You can get that television revenue. The football ticket revenue is going to be is going to kill schools. Like like Iowa makes you know roughly twenty three million dollars off those tickets, and then other. I didn't know, know it was that much. Stock. Yeah, that's going to be a huge hit. But yes. it you survive that one. But if you can't be on television too, I mean, you know, University of Iowa makes. You know, eighty million dollars directly for football. You know, and that doesn't count the hey, we just gave X amount of money to the you know the athletic department, but a lot of it's football, but we just didn't apply it as football. I mean, so you lose that, and that's the same way at every single school around the country. You lose that uh, athletics is over, and it, it may be over at a lot of smaller schools anyway. Mm, wow, mm. it's uh, certainly crazy to think about. You have. What's going to happen with the economy going forward? That's still looming out there. And, you know, the donors that are normally writing these big checks and to get these things built, in terms of both what they're doing in terms of building, additions, that type of thing inside the athletic department, certainly you figure that's going to be on put on hold for a while. But coaches' salary and the like, is there's so many layers to this. How different? Let's say we get through this and we, we're talking about this next summer. Summer of 2021. There's been something that's been found. We're able to figure out this disease, this virus that is going on. How different does college athletics look? <laughs> Man, if I had a crystal ball to answer that, I mean, I'd really have to know what happens like this fall, this winter, yeah. that sort of thing. I mean, does it does it go back to normal, or you know, does it change dramatically? Because yes, as you mentioned, you know, salaries. I mean, we got five million dollar football coaches. You got you know, two to three million dollar basketball coaches, you got all their assistants, you've got everybody who works at a, at a college, um, you know, they're vulnerable uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, they're going to look at just like businesses do and, and, you know, private businesses, small businesses, you know, they've got to look at who's expendable, who's, who's essential. I mean, that's, those are really tough questions to answer. And, and so I, I hope, you know, and I pray that this all kind of goes into the direction of, you know, maybe by midsummer we figured something out and it kind of dissipates and, and we can get back to normal. But you know, that's more of a that's more of a wish. That's not really a reality. So I don't know what we're looking at in a year and a half. But you know, you fear for the schools like Northern Iowa and and uh, you know the Mac schools and, and other ones that really just um, you know they're they're reliant so heavily on the institution themselves for their revenues and and uh, you know they're going to have to start you know, questioning whether or not they can afford a football program or, or other sports. And that that's going to be the real scary part when it comes to collegiate athletics. You guys are doing a great piece over at The Athletic, the best NCAA tournament game all you different writers have ever seen. So take us uh, to the best game you saw in person as undefeated Kentucky rolling through the regular season. They get to the Final Four, and who do they see? Those pesky Badgers. Hmm. It was a phenomenal game. I mean, I just remember walking the streets of Indianapolis that morning, and there was so much blue downtown. It looked like a Colts playoff game. And, uh, you know, Kentucky's a neighboring state mm-hmm. to Indiana, and it has 
the most rabid basketball audience that you'll ever see, even more so than Kansas. I've been in places with both. And uh, just then you throw on Michigan State, which is a, a neighbor and a Big Ten school, Wisconsin, Duke. So you have blue bloods and you have you know neighboring states, and it was just such an incredible atmosphere. And then you throw on, yeah, 38-0 Kentucky with, you know, four guys that were drafted in the top 13. And then you have, you know, Wisconsin, which only had two guys who weren't, were better than three-star prospects, but they were so veteran. They were, I would say 2005 Illinois was the best of the last 20 years, mm-hmm. but I'd say 2015 Wisconsin was right there close. And you just had this uh, in the Big Ten anyway. And, and so you just had this clash of so many different angles, and the game fit that profile. It was tied at halftime. You know, nobody could stop Kaminsky, you know, and you had just such great talent. And, and it went all the way down to the end. And, and really, the Badgers, they could score with anybody, but the hallmark of that team was defense. And they were able to, to slow down a, an incredibly explosive team. And, um, and, and probably my enduring image was right afterwards, uh, great guards walking off the floor up the tunnel, and they played jump around, and that place went crazy. <laughs> and, and, and what was what's funny about it was, you know, Four and a half, uh, you know, four months earlier or whatever. Uh, that's where they got blitzed by Ohio State, fifty-nine to nothing in mm. football. So they actually had to you got a chance to celebrate in Indianapolis. Yeah, they, they certainly weren't uh, earlier, Doc. I know at the athletic, uh, you would uh, spring thoughts on both the offense and the defense. That's uh, that's some of your work from last week. What do you got planned this week at the athletic? You know, we've got a lot of uh, group projects. Uh, today we unveiled. Uh, the top 100 sports movies of all time. And this is not just a list. <laughs> we, we've got about, you know, I don't know, 25, 30 stories on this. And one of them that I worked on was uh, looking at a lot of the fictional sports characters and how uh, what their lives were after the movie. So I, I did a, you know, a long um, thing on uh, uh, Carl Spackler, <laughs> and, you know, what he, what he did after he got fired from Bushwood, you know, um, <laughs> I, I did something on, uh, Vontae Mack from the, from draft day and Nuke Lelouch and, and, uh, Nicole Arbach and I kind of combined on this project and we had, you know, probably neighborhood of 30 different fictional characters. And we kind of wrote the ever after part of the, the, after the movie. So that was a lot of fun. And, and we also have another project going on this week, which is the top one, uh, numbers in college football history today one yeah one through 99 and and i'll have an iowa list coming out in a few days and that will be uh that's been more challenging and much more time consuming than i ever thought it would be but uh there there are some there's some tough choices just look at number uh seven yeah good luck in iowa history yeah brad banks reggie roby uh marvin mcnutt i mean you know, there's some, there's some really talented players there. No doubt. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Doc, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Yeah, you're the same. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Lots of fun stuff over there. I got an afternoon of reading in front of me. Yes, you do. Man, maybe we can borrow some of those ideas for <laughs> yes. this two hours block, Monday through Friday. Well, one of the ideas that we had from the get-go is we're looking back at the great teams in our sports mm-hmm. uh, state of Iowa's history. Today, 96-97, Tim Floyd's squad makes a run to the Sweet 16. Memories for you from that team, Ken? No. We got Paul Shirley coming up here. Floyd. Was it 97 where they retired Hoiberg's jersey? Ooh, I, was I, that? I didn't see that in the notes that I was reading through at the time. Maybe that was 98. Okay. I don't recall. Uh, yeah, I mean, I remember the team. I remember the cast of characters. I remember Willoughby. Floyd. Yeah, Cato and uh, Shirley and uh, Hampton. 
Rampton. Rampton, I think, was his name. And uh, Holloway was such a terrific player on that team. Stevie Johnson, freshman Johnson. Him? Kenny Pratt. Kenny Pratt. Kenny Pratt was a good player. Yes. Got in a little, you know, uh, didn't end well. Right. And that Um, happened during the season. With the Variety Club van, I remember. And uh, we'll talk to Paul Shirley about that time. Oh, is that part of it? Oh, good. Uh, We got into that a little bit, too. Sean Bankhead, part of the squad. Really good. Run to the Sweet 16, and that one, I went back and watched the Sweet 16 game against UCLA. Mm-hmm. It was close. They had them. Yeah. They had them. I, that, that bracket was certainly open there. This is a team that was good throughout the year, and they had expectations. They're preseason number nine. Were they? I said, don't remember that. I didn't either. I knew they got off to a really good start, and, and they were 10-0 and 0 before they took their first loss in January against Marquette, but mm-hmm. they got as high as number four in the country, mm. preseason number nine. There were big expectations with this team. What could have been another? We talked so much about ninety nine two thousand. This is another what if. Yeah. This was the first year that sports talk was on the air for basketball season. Oh, okay. Nine, yeah, 96-97. Uh, we'll take a timeout. We'll hear from Paul Shirley coming up. But before we do that, we've got to get our keyword in here in KXNO and iHeartRadio. I want to help you uh, with your bills. Text the keyword COUCH. To 200 200 right now. That's your chance to win $1,000. Couch to 200 200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. All right, Paul Shirley and Trent Condon going to take us the remainder of the program. Miller and Condon till noon. Murph and Andy, two fanatics at four on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.0. Their families. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Welcome back, Miller and Cotton. Trent running solo here this segment as we welcome in former Iowa State Cyclone basketball player, NBA player, Paul Shirley with us here today. Paul, good to catch up with you. I know just a wild time across uh, across the country and across the world going on right now. Thanks for carving out a couple of minutes for us here today. Of course. Always uh, always happy to return my voice style if I can't be there physically. So uh, as you're going through now your, your next career as you were during your MBA and your career overseas, you were a writer. That was something that you've been a part of. Tell us about what you're doing now, what you're working on, what you have going on inside the world of writing. So the main thing that takes up my time is I run a co-writing space called Writer's Block, which is a lot like a gym, um, but for writing. People come and uh, participate in writing sessions all through the day. That is a a physical location here in Los Angeles, and physical locations are in trouble right now, so we've actually added uh, an online component to what we do, Um, and that's been pretty successful as far as, like, helping people get stuff done um, when they are stuck at their houses. Uh, And then I continue to work on books. I'm working on uh, a couple of novels and a uh, a nonfiction book, which sounds more impressive than it is. (laughs) Those are all like years and years in the works. Um, I work usually on the draft of something for about three months and then put it away. And so those books are at various different stages in their lifespan. 
Interesting. Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. And, you know, thinking back upon your career playing in the NBA as you're, you're starting up blogging, is that something that you were interested in during college? Or have you been a writer and somebody that enjoyed writing going back to when you're in middle school, high school? What led you down that path? Yeah, it is, it, it, it's strange even to me just because I never wrote a thing for pleasure until I got overseas. Um, I had had a friend who um, had played in Spain when I was a senior in college, actually. And he was, would write these updates about the craziness of, of living and playing basketball in Spain. So I'd resolved then, if I ever got to play, I would do something similar. And then sure enough, I did get to play. And um, while I was in Greece, uh, my first year out of college, a zillion odd things were happening. And it seemed to help me to make sense of them if I could write them down. So I started writing journal entries um, that I would send out in emails about what was happening to me um, and noticed quickly that uh, if I made them funny, people would respond and I felt less lonely. Uh, and that sort of oddly spawned a writing career. I've been thinking about how in startup language, you talk often about a minimum viable product, right? So that's the least effective thing that you can do that uh, that still gets people to whatever, come to your restaurant or buy your software. That was my minimum viable product was just sending out emails, and that led eventually to writing books. Interesting. Well, uh, it, it's a great thing that you have going on, Writer's Block. And so is this for anybody, just any kind of person that, that is an author that, that hits that stage? Is that who you're working for? We actually work mostly with people who are writing part-time. Um, I, having participated in several different um, odd aspects of life, whether that's uh, college sports or professional sports or whatever it might be, um, I feel like a lot of times there's an insularity there that uh, has always annoyed me. Um, we want to make sure that uh, writing is accessible to people. I think a lot of people just feel better because they're writing. Um, so we talk a lot about helping people write for an hour a day or even if it's only 30 minutes a day. Uh, in the same way that you talk, I think, about exercise or even yoga. Nobody goes to the yoga studio so that they can be in the Olympics in yoga. Um, you go to yoga because it makes you feel good. And uh, I think writing is kind of similar. Along the way, you might write something great, but uh, in a lot of ways, that's not the point. Interesting. Paul Shirley joining us here. Hey, Paul. Uh, we're going to get into your basketball career, and I mentioned to you before we started today, we've been going through and talking about some of the past great teams. With no sports going on right now and being a sports program, we're, we're searching for topics. And one of the ideas mm -hmm. I came up with is just going back and doing a deep dive into some of the great seasons. Now, the first one that we did for Iowa State was your junior year, the 99-2000 team, the run to the Elite Eight, the Big 12 Championship what you guys did that season. Today we're spotlighting your freshman year, but before we get to that, I do want to talk about the later stages of your career. After the redshirt season, 99-2000, and then your senior year, two great teams, Big 12 championships. You guys had excellent, excellent runs there, but unfortunately, I think most people remember the NCAA tournament, the loss to Michigan State, what happened against Hampton in the first round the following season. And I guess, is that just the nature of college athletics and specifically college basketball you can do all these great things, but unfortunately, the memory, unless you're cutting down the nets in April, it's about what happens in the NCAA tournament. It is. I, I, I suppose that we 
also participated in two rather spectacular flameouts, and that colors people's memory of it. Um, it is fundamentally the case that most seasons end in a loss. Um, ours, I think, just happened to be particularly heartbreaking. Um, and so it is easy to forget there was a lot of success along the way. I know that um, it, it's deep in the memory banks, but I remember Coach Eustachie always talking about how what mattered to him was winning regular season championships in within one's league because that really is the most impressive thing you can accomplish, right? Mm-hmm. Like to do it night after night after night. Um, the NCAA tournament is a little bit like um, a roulette game in that the best team is not necessarily going to win every year. It's built to be exciting and it's built for fans. It doesn't necessarily result in the best team winning. And that doesn't mean at all that we were either of those years the best team in the country. But you just can't control what will happen in one particular game. What you can control is an entire season. And so I, even though I had my quibbles with the way that Larry Stacey coached and existed as a human being, I appreciated that um, mentality, which I think is all is actually pretty universal to everything we try to get done, which is that we want to build a process that works. Um, and we did that really effectively at Iowa State. We knew that um, most of the time we were going to be successful because we had controlled what we did in practice and how hard we practiced and how hard we played. Um, and then the, the game most of the time went in our favor, but we couldn't really control what happened in, say, the last three minutes of a game in Auburn Hills, Michigan, because you can't control that in any situation. Paul, what led you to Iowa State? You grew up in Kansas. You're, uh, you would figure as a walk-on that you would choose something in-state, in, in-state tuition, go something like that. So what led you up to Ames? Um, so I, I grew up in the shadow of the University of Kansas. Both my parents went there and had always uh, dreamed of playing at KU. The happiest moment of my childhood was probably a tie between the uh, 85 World Series when the Kansas City Royals won and the 88 National Championship when Danny Manning took the uh, Jayhawks all the way. So that was uh, first and foremost in my mind. Um, And I was uh, obviously a really good high school basketball player, but I also played in a very small town. And all of our contacts with KU were lukewarm at best um we actually went over there at some point late in my high school days to talk to them about me walking on at kansas most of my offers at the time were division two schools and ivy leagues and other small colleges and uh, i had this sense that i was still getting better and better with each passing month and that playing at a place like kansas was not out of the question however roy williams did not agree and said that uh i was never really going to be good enough to play in the Big 12, um, which probably influenced my decision that came later when um, I was also being recruited by Davidson, later made famous, of course, by Steph Curry, um, and was very close to going there. But then um, Steve Craftsison, who had been at uh, the University of North Dakota, they had recruited me hard. I finally said no to them. He called Tim Floyd, who was at Iowa State, and said, hey, there's this kid nobody knows about. I think he's pretty good. You might want to take a look at him. 
Tim Floyd was vaguely interested, but they had run out of scholarships, so he said, sorry, you can't come here. And then my mother got involved, as mothers will do, <laughs> figured out that if you are a national merit finalist, which is what I was, you could go to Iowa State for free. Oh, wow. So called Tim Floyd and said, hey, would you like to have a basketball player that doesn't cost you anything? Um, and he said, sure. I, I think what's interesting about some of that is the reason my mother had to get involved is because back then, you couldn't really speak directly to coaches except for under some very strict guidelines. It was a lot of cloak and dagger at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, Tim Floyd was into that, and I came to Iowa State under one condition, which was that no one could know that I was a walk-on. Ah, oh, okay. So so that was so, something that came out a little later, huh? Yeah, I mean, we. I was technically a walk-on. I was not on athletic scholarship, but I – uh, made very clear that uh, he could. He had to announce me as just like everybody else, um, and maybe seems uh, unnecessary. But when you are 18 and a freshman, and you're doing everything you can to fight for a spot, I think it's really important that there's no sign of weakness. Um, and if we're honest, walk-ons, especially at the outset, are going to be looked at as also rans. And I felt like that was something I didn't want to cop to. It's really fun to talk about in, in retrospect, right? Sure. To be able to say like, yeah, well, I didn't, I didn't even get an athletic scholarship, which is true. Um, but back then I didn't want to, uh, to give anybody that out. You were walking into a situation. Iowa state was coming off a successful year. They were picked third in the big 12, uh, that season. I guess, yeah, that'd be the first year of the big 12, year freshman campaign, the incoming, uh, class there, I'll be frank. Yeah, I was in high school at the time. I watched a lot of Cyclone basketball. And outside of one name, outside of your own, I don't remember any of these other guys from this class. Brad Johnson, who came from Indian Hills. DeAndre Harris, that's a name I at least remember. He was a Milwaukee kid that was at Marshalltown. And then a couple of Iowa kids, Jason Teeter and Rush Snowhour. I, I just, outside of Harris and, of course, you, I don't even remember the other names. Tell us about that class that came in together. Well, don't forget uh, my roommate, Stevie Johnson. Uh-huh. That's the, so it really became the class of me and Stevie and Brad Johnson to some degree. He was, so Brad Johnson was a, a junior college guy, um, who I think, like, it's easy to forget because this was both quite a while ago and not that long ago. Like, nobody knew anything back then. <laughs> Brad Johnson turned out to be about six, two or three when he was listed at six, six. Okay. Um, and I think, Great, like, hard-nosed dude who could shoot the hell out of it, but was probably just too small. Um, DeAndre Harris was actually pretty similar. He was a point guard who was about 5'10", uh, and that's tough to get by with. Um, so not not like a lack of talent, but it's just it's it's easy to forget how much mystery there was in those days of recruiting when a guy would show up on campus and a coach would be – immediately deflated because like everybody told me this guy was six seven and he's six three um stevie of course um turned out to be quite an effective basketball player and football player for iowa state he and i roomed together that year um and were terrified for most of uh that freshman year because all of the seniors had been together for so long um and also just seemed so much more mature than we were um <laughs> that was also the year of Kenny Pratt's hijinks with the Uh law. Uh, And I remember pretty vividly, like, being in the old, I guess it was called the PE building, 
getting ready for practice when um, Dedrick and uh, Kenny were talking about the night that led to Kenny Pratt's incarceration and thinking, like, this is not going to end well for all of us. <laughs> and, of course, it, it didn't. 22 it, games that year for not. Kenny Pratt uh, in there. You know, my favorite watching that team, Dedrick Willoughby, and just watching him firing from all over the place. He was a, another undersized two-guard. He was out there. He was handling the ball a little bit with J.C. Holloway, the senior in that uh, that campaign. That Willoughby T guy, I, I don't know. If he was if he was two inches taller, three inches taller, how long of an NBA career could have he had? Because, boy, could he fill it up. He really could. Uh, I, I don't know if he would have had much of an NBA career either which way. There are a lot of stories um, that I've heard about people giving him a zillion chances and it never really working out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he and Kelvin Cato and even Sean Bankhead, uh, were guys who fit so well with Tim Floyd because Coach Floyd was so good at finding guys that everybody else had overlooked and figuring out ways to get in their heads and motivate them that were kind of unique and also probably dependent on having a bunch of those other guys around them. Even Cato, right? Like he went on to an NBA career, but it was a pretty lackluster one. He always fought with staying in shape. Um, for whatever reason, Coach Floyd was able to talk to guys like that on their level and in their language, and I think was able to get more out of them than probably anybody else ever could. Started off the year preseason, we're talking 96-97, the freshman year for Paul Shirley and the Iowa State Cyclone basketball team. Preseason rankings, number 11, you guys finish up at number 13. Take us uh, through that season. Any memories that pop out to you as you're going out there? Again, you're a big, more prominent player later on in your career, but as you're going through it, you said it kind of eyes wide open as you're going through. You guys start off the year 10-0, and but memories from 96-97. One of the benefits of ending up at a college that you don't know a lot about is that you're not – I didn't have a lot of reason to be scared. Um, I think if I had played at Kansas, I would have – been so much more aware of the mythology but but growing up iowa state was that school that seemed like it was in canada to us it's really not that far away but it just had this psychological element of kind of being distant from from kansas and kansas state and missouri and oklahoma and nebraska the places that i you know really understood um so i i think i not because i'm fearless at all but because of just an unawareness i didn't have as much fear as i might have I ended up playing a lot that first semester because Kenny Pratt was ineligible and um, vividly remember the night before the game at the University of Iowa, Coach Floyd taking me aside and saying, like, now get ready, you're going to play a bunch tomorrow, and me not really thinking anything of it. Whereas I think if you told 42-year-old Paul something like that, he wouldn't be able to sleep. Um, I, at the time, just was like, well, okay, that's what I'm here to do, and ended up playing pretty well and we beat Iowa at Iowa and I but so at the time I didn't know the significance of beating Iowa at Iowa that's not to say I didn't understand how rivalries work I knew what it was like when Kansas played Kansas State and that sort of thing but in some ways the fact that I didn't I didn't grow up in Iowa I didn't care that much about Iowa versus Iowa State actually probably led me to play a better game in a game like that. The rest of that season for me, so once we got into the Big 12, I would play very sparingly um, and mostly got a front row seat for watching Coach Floyd probably at his best. Um, he's always He's been at his best in other places too. 
But getting to watch him um, manage a team and also manage a season was really fascinating. I remember pretty vividly that um, we played at Colorado towards the end of the season. And we, like, historically, Iowa State always had had trouble playing at Colorado, as did most teams. And Coach Floyd told us before the game sometime during that week that, hey, guys, uh, don't be surprised if I don't finish this one. And we were we didn't think anything of it. So we we played poorly to start that game, and he got thrown out. And we ended up losing by quite a lot. That was, I think, a Chauncey Billups team at Colorado. And uh, Coach Floyd joked about how he had finished the game watching it at a bar nearby. But it turns out, and I don't know, I honestly don't know if this is all that true, but the story went that at that time, if you got thrown out by a referee in a regular season game, that referee could not work one of your NCAA tournament games. And Coach Floyd knew that a certain referee that was doing that Colorado game had always had a hard time with him and didn't want to have to deal with him if we made it to the NCAA tournament. So he was thinking so far ahead that he wanted to get thrown out of that kind of meaningless game to give us a better chance later in the year, which I think is the sort of thing that uh, he was always thinking about and which I admired quite a lot. Yeah, that, that's thinking forward, no doubt about it. We're talking with Paul Shirley here, looking back at 96-97. Last thing for you on the team in your freshman campaign, the NCAA tournament that year. You go out to the Palace of Auburn Hills that, fortunately, three years later, uh, has a different kind of connotation with Iowa State basketball. Beat Illinois State in the first round, then upset Cincinnati, a really good Cincinnati team, by a point. But I want to uh, go to the Sweet 16 game against UCLA. UCLA at that time, I mean, this is a program coming on the heels of a national championship. They were they were a blue blood of all blue bloods at that time. Going there, playing in the Alamo Dole against that team, and how close that one was certainly had to be a stinger as you guys were walking off the floor. It is. I, I do think that um, I had become such an observer by that point that uh, it reminds me of when I was later in my life. I played for the Phoenix Suns and spent most of my time watching or playing garbage time. And it, there's a detachment that comes that people are probably not necessarily aware of where I was watching guys feel truly awful about this loss, but in some ways it almost felt like it would have been untoward for me to pretend to care as much as they did, which isn't to say that I didn't care, but um, they had invested so much more in it, especially by that point in the season, that it almost seemed like you're kind of like stealing their thunder. So in a lot of ways, like if you're if you're just watching, I don't I don't know that I even played in an NCAA tournament game that year. Um, it felt to me like I was kind of watching it like almost a fan, and was also I think you're also thinking about your own career in that like well what will I be like someday when I'm in this situation? Um, so it it all feels blurry in that I remember vividly that we drew up this play I think. I think we had been up 20 in that game against UCLA at halftime. And there was a sense of like, well, probably they'll come back in some way, but <clears throat> hopefully we'll be able to stave them off. Um, but I do remember that at the very end of the game, Coach Floyd drew up a play out of the just back of his head to try to draw a charge on an inbounds play. And it actually worked, but the referee swallowed his whistle, as it were. 
And that's one of those things, again, that like you just can't control where that goes, right? Like in, in a couple of universes, that ref calls that foul that's a little bit shaky. Um, but in the world we live in, that doesn't happen. And UCLA marches on down and, and Dedrick Willoughby and Kenny Pratt have to finish their career. But by that same token, I remember against, I think it's against Cincinnati, Clay Edwards hit like a left-handed jump hook to win that game. Um, again, there's another universe where that goes just off the back iron and we lost in the second round of Cincinnati and nobody thinks anything differently of it. It's, it is just interesting, I think, the difference between a player and maybe a fan is that um, it's all a part of this really long process. And so I, you know, it, a game like that was disappointing, but along came the next season, along came the next year. Yeah. And that's the way that it goes. And speaking of alternate universes, I don't think there's, there's a lot of Cyclone fans that still dream a little bit what would have happened at the end of that Michigan State game if it would have went differently. Just the way that the bracket opened up, two number eight seeds were there that season with Wisconsin mm-hmm. and North Carolina. It just, it felt like it was the two best teams as we fast forward to 99, 2000. And I, I'm sure you've dreamed about that moment just a little bit. Just one different play, one different stop, whatever it may be against the Spartans. True. I, I do think like, you know, we, we probably overachieved late because it took us a while to gel. Mm -hmm. Uh, and again, I, I don't want to belabor this, but, um, that team was really together for a couple of years. We didn't have Marcus Pfizer, of course, um, my senior year, but in a lot of ways we were, we were one team. And so our evolution kind of ebbed and flowed and it happened to be that we were really well connected um, that last, that, that end of my junior year and stayed connected through a lot of my senior year and then started to fall apart psychologically and just as a team towards the end of that, of that senior year. Uh, for me, it's also interesting thinking about like I had, I had broken my foot, um, and didn't play at the very end of the, um, big 12 season, the big 12 tournament and those first couple of games in the NCAA tournament. And so like, I wonder, I actually played okay in that game. I didn't, you know, it's not like I had 20 and 10 or something like that, but it probably helped that uh, Michigan State hadn't been able to scout me, right? Like there's all these subtleties that come into play um, that, again, you can't control. I, I don't, I definitely don't sit up nights wondering what it would have been like uh, to make it to the Final Four. I'm lucky in that regard in that I went on to play professional basketball for nine years. So in some ways, all of that stuff kind of fades and each game becomes smaller in my brain. I actually think that, again, this is just my experience. Um, losing that game was probably the best thing that could happen for me uh, because I was only a junior. Um, I got to play a senior year and I was probably much more motivated for that senior year. I think as a team, we were much more motivated. Imagine if we had won a national championship. I don't know that we would have had the same pretty great uh, year two. Now, again, that year two ended in um, us losing in the NCAA tournament, but we also won the Big 12 and brought a lot of people, I think, a lot of joy. Um, so it's, you know, I, at the time I was completely devastated as witnessed by all of those photos of me crying that uh-huh. still exist all over the uh-huh. uh, internet. But in retrospect, like what a great thing to happen to get to, to make it that far and also to lose in such spectacular fashion, like it's much more interesting to lose in spectacular fashion than it is to just go whimpering into the night. 
That's Paul Shirley. Two books out, Can I Keep My Jersey, from back in 2007, and also uh, Stories I Tell on Dates in 2017. Paul, a lot of people with a lot of extra time right now, and I'm sure you can still find those books, right? Uh, Amazon, they can deliver them right to your house. Yeah, they, uh, the uh, Stories I Tell on Dates is also a podcast that probably is the best way to consume it, plus it's free, So, and I, I don't carry the way i'll make more money if you buy the book but i'm not gonna make that much money so listen to it as a podcast (laughs) good stuff hey paul thank you so much for your time today really appreciate it thank you paul shirley boys and girls that'll do it for the program today thanks to everybody out there for listening in tomorrow we got restaurant radio coming your way as we will talk to central iowa restaurants about what they're doing curbside delivery pickup what you can do to help these businesses out they'll be joining us throughout the day starting at 10 30 tomorrow on the program also espn zuba mahete will be our guest on a tuesday edition we got murph and andy coming your way at two o'clock followed by the sports fanatics and it starts each and every morning with the morning rush tomorrow morning at 6 a.m thanks to everybody out there for listening in we'll